Hello and welcome to the Comedians Paradise where we talk to illustrious, gorgeous and fantastic people from across the comedy world who inspire comedians like you and me to chase the laughs on our own terms. Now, today's guest has the name Maureen and she has the name of Younger, which means she has the coolest name in comedy. Oh, I never thought of that, but thanks. You know what, people sometimes think it's a stage name, like people have said to me, is more in a stage name and i'm like yeah i called myself more to add a bit of glamour to the act i mean yeah. no i wish i had the stage name i never thought about it at the time but it's, it's a great name it's, it's cool it sounds stylish okay i'll go with that <laughs> you <don't believe> me. <laughs> uh, i get I, I, my name's marvin mccarthy and a lot of people say that sounds quite nice as well but i think that sounds very sort of posh a lot of people say that i sound posh like I got called an Asian Hugh Grant in New York. Yeah, but Americans don't really understand British accents anyway, so I wouldn't take that seriously. Oh, okay. I mean, I remember being an American, somebody said to me, oh, do you speak like that all the time? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. They've got a fascination with us, haven't they? Well, you can blame them. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, f full English breakfast, how can you not love it? And so thanks for coming on the pod. Because oh, no, no worries. Like, tell us a bit about yourself. Like, how did you become a comic? I know that you spoke to Simon Kane. You spoke about how many like things used to be very blokey, like, oh, in the kitchen sort of stuff. I can't, I can't <laughs> well, I mean, I started, I had lots of jobs, lots of different stupid jobs. And then um, I got to a point where I was very depressed in my life. And I talked to a friend who's also a counsellor. And... Um, unawares to me I kept cracking jokes even though I was very depressed and crying my eyes out I kept cracking jokes and she was like oh you should do stand up and I was like I don't think so I'd, ne I'd been to one gig in the 80s um never went to stand up wasn't interested in stand up couldn't have named a stand up really apart from perhaps Jack D who was on the tv at the time and um she kept insisting so I started going so I went on a course basically to shut her up and um I actually was quite good. I, I was probably the best in the class. To be fair, the standard was really low. Right? Oh. Um, not blowing my trumpet here, it was a really low standard. I mean, there was one woman who was German and her jokes were puns of words that were puns in German, but not in English. So you had to speak German in order to realize it was a pun. I mean, that's, that's very niche. Um, and it wasn't funny. So it was a very low standard, but I was like, oh, I can actually do this. and. Um, and I just started doing it and that's um and I didn't really take it seriously at first I kind of did a couple of gigs a month and um and I just started doing it more and more yeah and did you do acting at the same time as it or before N not really I had done acting before and I'd been to drama school I mean I technically I was an actor but I wasn't a resting actor so basically um you know I wasn't acting you know I was temping that's what I was doing Ah. You know, it's that thing where, you know, you're, you, you're, you know, you send off a few letters and you, you might go to the old audition, but I wasn't really working as an actor. So I, I really was temping, which is the reason I was so depressed because it was a mind blowingly boring job. I was with people I liked and I could get away with murder there, but it wasn't very intellectually demanding. Is that also a statement that we should perhaps ascribe to comedians that we only call us a comment unless we're full time or should we... <laughs> I have to say, it's really annoying when you get people who've done about 12 gigs and they call themselves 
they say they're like they make out they're a professional comedian or i've i've seen this where someone was a open spot perhaps for a few months then they do another job and then they're on tv and they're like former stand-up and it's like but you know you just you did a couple of gigs you did you know what i mean you did a, I don't know, 20 gigs like you're not you weren't really a, you weren't professional stand-up not unless you're Jeff Innocent and you decide to walk out and do acting. That's, that, that would be a story. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, unless you've got the credentials, don't talk about them. Oh, it's not that. It's just that but you give people um, a false idea. It's like if you're doing you know, amateur dramatics. I suppose you could call yourself an actor, but it's not really in the same league as someone who's, who's earning a living from it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. I don't know if that makes me sound snobby, but it is a bit annoying when you've got someone. I, and I remember one, some, this girl, girl, woman, I should say, and she was saying, you know, she's an ex-comic. And, I, and I'd gigged with her a couple of times. I was like, no, you, you weren't. You weren't a, you weren't a professional stand-up by a long chalk. But, you know, it looks, you know, people are always impressed if you say you're a comic, don't they? Yeah, there seems to be an odd demeanour. They think it's, um, it's just like anything scary. You give it a go a couple of times and... And it often doesn't become as scary. Yeah, I've never found stand-up really scary. I've never found it scary. Oh. No. Never. I mean, there's there's a couple of gigs where I've been like, mm-hmm. but generally, no. Hmm. I mean, if they don't like you, they don't like you. You do your time and you fuck off. I don't <laughs> think you can swear on this, but I mean, do you know what I mean? I go it's ahead. like, I mean, not everyone's going to like you. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, obviously, as a comic, what you want is most of the people, most of the time, to like you. That yeah. way you get work. But, you know, some people aren't going to find you funny. You know, some people aren't going to find you funny as soon as you walk on stage. You know, in my case, because I'm a middle-aged woman and they don't want to listen to a middle-aged woman. Or because I'm a bullshit woman. But you, what you've got to realise is the very reasons that some people won't like you are the very same reasons why some people will really like you. That sounds exactly like dating. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I haven't dated for years, but you know what I mean? It's like, um, you can't, you, you know, not, not everyone is going to like you. And, um, and yeah, it's horrible when you die. I mean, no one wants it. And of course it's, you know, it's bad when you're an open spot. It's even worse when you're professional, because as you know, um, you know, you've got to do your time. You know, also you might not get paid and there was nothing worse. I mean, I did a gig once where they hate, I mean, hate is too weak a word. They absolutely hated me. And I looked at my watch on about 18 minutes left, <laughs> you know, and I had to and I had to just stand there and just to basically um, uh, silence um, because, you know, I wanted to get paid at the end of the day. So as an open spot, you could just walk off. I mean, who cares? You said something that's very intriguing there because I, I spoke to um, a comic called Casey McNeil in Boston. Right. And he told me that, um, like what you said there, that Margaret Cho, they were doing a college gig mm. and she, like he was bombing, but he, he was trying to prove the crowd. But he said what made her great was she is who she is and there's no, you, you either like it or you don't. Mm. And then, but then I also hear stories about like how Russell Hicks was able to turn like for 10 minutes he was bombing, but then he found a way to hook him in. And then the last 10 minutes he smashed it. I mean, you do, I mean, there are some comics, I'm not one of them. Like, so if I'm not doing well, I will try and win the audience round or do banter or do, you know, whatever. There are some comics and I do, um, I admire them. If they die, they just carry on doing what they're doing and they don't care that the audience doesn't like them. 
I think it's very brave, but I think as a promoter, it's you just you'd rather have somebody turn the audience around and like you. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it, I, I do know comics who will do that, and it, I do find that quite a brave choice. I will try and, and win the audience round, but there's only so much you can do, isn't it? Um, you know, you do try and play the room and try and get them on side and try and figure out a way. I mean, the more experienced you are, the more skilled you are, the more material you've got. It's it, it makes it easier, but sometimes you just can't win them round. You know. What's been an instance where you turn around someone who was like, "Yo, I don't like Maureen," but then they'll then you then they turn into putty in your hand. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, have there have been occasions because I've done gigs where, you know, that I walk on as a middle-aged woman, and so you can see them thinking, "Oh," because you know people are prejudiced against they, you know, they think middle-aged women are going to be rubbish at anything. You just, you know, if you ever see all the Susan Boyle clip when she walked on stage, everyone, the judges audience all assumed she was going to be rubbish because she committed the worst crime a middle-aged woman could do she looked middle-aged um you know and so there is that assumption so you can see people's faces and then you know you start doing your act and you're like and they're like oh do you know what i mean it's it's interesting sometimes because yeah. you're you're kind of playing against their prejudices and that's a great thing about comedy you can play against people's prejudices or you can because often, you know, the thing with the comedy is like, we're not as PC as we think we are, or we'd like to be. No, so comics will say jokes and people will laugh at jokes and think, oh, shouldn't we be laughing at that? But it's a way of letting off steam in a way. Do you know what I mean? Because we all have thoughts and beliefs that we probably, probably wouldn't want to admit to perhaps at a dinner party. And we're the ones that let it all out. And we kind yeah, it's kind of a valve system. Uh, trouble is some people don't get that and they they kind of hear the words and they, they get triggered by certain words and don't realize it's a joke mm. and what and what the you know what the um target of the joke is because they hear certain words now and they, people get people like to get offended sometimes you know and you're like oh yeah yes, you've got yes. offended but if you're going to get offended don't go to comedy do you mean yeah so if i don't want to say it's but a friend, a comic who I know on the circuit says that those people who get offended at certain things now were the same things that would have got offended at maybe the very same things that we're preaching about back in the 60s or 70s. I think the problem is now that when people get offended, they feel like you should stop what you're doing. So the fact that they're offended means that you should stop what you're doing or you should not be working anymore. Or, you know, it's... You know, there was a comic recently, uh, somebody came up, complained about one of his jokes and said, you should be banned from this club. And he went, go and have a word with them. And the club turned around and just basically laughed. And this woman got very upset. But it's like, it's like because you're offended that somehow that joke is invalid. And it's not, you know, you're entitled to be offended. I mean, I've, I've listened to so-called comics say stuff which I'm fuming about. Um, but you know, um, but half the time when people get offended, it's because they haven't, they don't actually understand how comedy works. Yeah, but it's it's they, you have to sometimes tread the line to get the to get. Yeah, and the thing is with a comic, like some, you know, the biggest laugh is when you take those risks where you're kind of on the precipice, and sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't, but you only know once you've done it. Mm. You know, and also what people forget is. Um, the audience give you permission in a way so like a certain act can go on and say one thing I mean, i've seen this um so a certain act can go on he can say stuff because the audience will give him permission or her permission to say that but another comic would say it 
they always won't give you permission they always will be furious mm. you know it's like uh, all comics know if you've got something you put your kind of perhaps risque stuff you put it in the middle you never put it with the front open so I, i've got stuff if i sit in the front it would really piss people off but you do it 10 minutes into your set by this point hopefully they like you they find you funny they know where you're coming from they will find that material funny mm. you did it 10 minutes earlier i'll be absolutely livid because the half of comedy is psychology. It's working the room, figuring out the audience, uh, figuring out what, you, what jokes you're going to do to win the audience round, what jokes you might want to leave out. Um, you know, it, it's all that. Who to talk to, who not to talk to. Mm. You know, it's, um, it, you know, and sometimes as a comic, you get it wrong. You know, you get it wrong. You know, you misjudge an audience or you misjudge a joke. Um, you know, it happens. Yeah, that's... Um... It's amazing how much goes into it. Like I spoke to Danny McGinley, and he, he wrote that great great article on like MCing. Right. Um, I know that I've seen a lot of amateur MCs like mm. say, "What do you do for a job or whatever." We all do but that. that but yeah, but they say they say that sort of right at the start, sort of fresh. But mm. what he did is he just gets in the chair, so that he, as you said, the psychology he finds out who wants to be talked to and who doesn't. I mean, for me, it, you can often tell. So, what? Because I don't see a lot. So, I avoid people who want to be talked to, because they're going to be a pain in the butt. Because they want the show to be about them, and it's not going to be about them. So, I avoid them like the plague. I avoid people who like they're going to cry if you're going to. You know, some people don't want to be talked to, and they get very, you know, they're really upset. Ignore <coughs> them, leave them alone, and then you know, you try. Hopefully, you find the, the, the people in between, who don't mind being talked to, but don't want to be the show about. Don't want the show to be about them. Yeah. Is, is, is the saying true in that with a lot of MCs, if you're a great MC or make you a great comic, don't they? It, it, it can be like they, you, some, you get some people who only do sets, you get some people who, do MC, who just MC. Um, and sometimes, I mean, there, there can be, it can be a, uh, what do you call it? Two sided sword, that's not what it is, double edged sword, that's it. So sometimes if you MC too much, when you do your set, you end up MCing your set rather than doing a set. So that can be a disadvantage. But as an MC, it means that you're very good. You've got um, you've got a strong muscle with banter and stuff like that. So if sometimes if it's a hard room, you can banter with the audience. You can play with the audience. And also when you're when you're MCing, you sometimes come up with, with material. I've done that. Well, you know, you you say something as an ad lib, it gets a big laugh, and you're like, okay, that's going in the set. <laughs> I mean, um, I would say if you can be a good MC. That's a really good string to your bow and you will get more work if you can MC well. But you've also got to allow yourself not to be that good an MC. I, I, when I started MCing, I wasn't as good as I wanted to be, so I stopped. And then I realised that the only way I could be as good, as good as I wanted to be was by allowing myself to be not that good and working at it and getting better. So I did that thing that all MCs do when they first start out, divided my set into three and did you know one third of the jokes at the beginning one second joke in the next but another joke at the next section um and then you get better but you've got to allow yourself as a comic to get better you know you're not going to be whoever you think's your favorite comic you're not going to be i don't know whoever you think frankie ball michael McIntyre, or whatever it is jack um jack d lee mack you're not going to be that after after five months you know you've got to allow yourself to to learn the trade is that is that something that's maybe 
What was it like beforehand, like when you had when you first started in terms of famous comics? Did comics go in straight away thinking they're doing that, or is that a trend that's happening no, now? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. But you got comic. What you always get is uh, when I first started, Frankie Boyle was really uh, fashionable. So you got a lot of would-be Frankie Boyles, and but what they forget is Frankie Boyle is probably one of the best joke writers in the country, if not the best. His joke writing is outstanding. And so, but what they hear is just somebody saying something and they think, oh, he said something, it's offensive, so I'm going to say something offensive. And they haven't actually written a joke. That isn't, he's written, he's, he's written quality jokes, absolutely quality jokes. He's not gone there and said, I'm just going to say something offensive. And so what you got was, a, when I started comedy, there's a lot of comics just saying stuff that was offensive. There was no joke in it. There was no comedy in it. It was just, look at me, I'm saying something really offensive. Yeah. And they forgot all the hard work that Frankie does. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, if you ever watch Frankie, I don't know if you have, I mean, his writing is out of the world. I mean, he's such a good comedy joke writer. You know, he might say stuff where you're kind of going, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, but it's funny because he's written a very good joke and he's making a point. Mm. Um, you know, and he's obviously he's a highly intelligent guy. And I think that's the, that's the problem. You sometimes get comics, you know, want to be the next Sarah Millican. But, you know, Sarah Millican, again, writes absolutely brilliant jokes and it, they go really well with her persona. He's, he's changed a lot now, though, hasn't he? Like, he's a lot lighter. He's a lot more, from what I've seen. Like, okay. More, more, he's a lot more political now, isn't he? I mean, I yeah. don't know about lighter. I mean, I saw him live recently. Oh, okay. And it, it, I mean, he was hilarious. I was sitting actually next to Kerry Godleman. Oh. All the jokes, we were like, blinking, egg. I mean, they were so good, though. I mean, they were brilliant jokes. And if you want to watch somebody who's at the top of the game, I'd, I'd go eat, go and watch Frankie Boyle. And who else? Uh, who else is on your comedy? Like, who's who's in your? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I love people like Andy Askins. Have you seen Andy Askins? Not yet. Oh, he's fantastic. He's such a good comedian. I mean, he's brilliant. It's like a totally packed set of, of really good jokes uh, he's got his own uh what do you call it usp is that what it is yes usp and um he's just brilliant very very funny obviously you know uh, like zoe Lyons is amazing if you watch zoe like she used to run this gig called bent double and she would compare it using just saying new material and um her new material was so good i mean it was like bloody hell so it meant when you had to go on you had to go on it at your A game, because, you know, otherwise the audience was just like, come here, Zoe back. And she was doing new material. God. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I've heard stories about that with Lewis CK as well. Like he, he, sorry, but like he did such a good new material that the host struggled to come back after him. I mean, you know, it is, in, it is interesting if you watch somebody like Zoe and it's all new stuff and you're like, Blinking, heck, how can that be new and be so good, you know, and so, so hilarious? But anyway, that's Zoe for you. Bloody good comic. <laughs> it's, it's, so with all these sort of things you, you got in your hat, like your MC, you're an actress and you're a comedian, does that give you perhaps a more balanced view of a lot of things and how they work? Um, I think, you know, having trained as an actor, it gave me an advantage in that I, I you know, I had stagecraft. So like, I used to run a gig in Birmingham, which was an L-shaped room. 
and it was amazing the amount of comics that just used to play to the front and ignore the people to the left was an actor you know should be playing the whole room so like if you're doing a big theater you don't just look at the stalls you look up i mean you can't see anybody but they don't know that no but you look up at the gods so people feel included so it gives you a bit of stagecraft i mean on the downside it meant i used to project even when i had a mic so i was unnecessarily loud because i just used to so that was an you know that was a disadvantage um i think acting can be a problem you get some actors trying to trying to be stand-ups and they act being a stand-up so it, it doesn't work you can't act being a stand-up you know there's no fourth wall you've got to it's got to seem like it's just you that's the first time you know you're just talking mm. you know it's, it's not a comedy monologue um but i think you know comedy can help acting because as a comic you're working with words you know you know how to play with words you know how to get effect effects from words that's your job you know about timing you know about playing with words um so it can be very helpful in i think when you're when you're acting the other way around because i remember i did an acting class and one of the directors said that to me and i thought that was quite an interesting point that he says a lot of Lot of funny people make great actors. I mean, I know Walter White, the guy that plays him, is an incredible actor, and I've seen a couple of examples of it. But I don't know. I feel that might be a sweeping statement just to say something like that. I, I don't know because I think comedy is kind of underrated. So if you look at the Oscars, comedies never get awards, never got Oscars. You know, they're kind of you know they're just dismissed as co comedy. Comedy is very difficult to do. I mean, there was a great. Are you probably too young? Norman Wisdom was a great comedian. I saw him when I was a kid. I was about seven and I still remember in Bournemouth he was like the top top star in the like 50s Britain and he did a really good drama I think toward the, towards the end of his life I mean you know you don't have to be a good comedian to be a good actor I don't think Laurence Olivier was a stand-up before he you know he went on to to win all his theatre awards but I think it can it can be an advantage because you just because also you've spent your whole life saying saying words saying text and making it seem like that's the first time you've said it you know that's what you do and people are people are you know you'll be you will be amazed i've had people come up to me and they're really surprised that you repeat a joke like they think you just say it that once and that's it and you're like you've got to be kidding me mate um but that's you know even my like i've got ad libs in my set these ad libs i've had for like two years you know, but you make them, you, but you you, you do them in a way that people think that you, that's the first time you've said it. So, you know, you're, but you're kind of acting in a way that, well, you're not acting in a way, if that makes sense. I remember one of the things that I was told in the class when people were acting is that they'll keep repeating the same line again and again to get the same res result until they got annoyed and then they got that emotional response. But I also okay. hear, hear from, that, I, yeah, I don't take what people say at fate. This is I'm just taking what they say. And then one of the comics, Sam Russell, says mm. one of the things he hates in comedy is seeing a monologue and what he does to make it look like it's uh, just come off the fly is he changes things slightly so that the right. body it performs as a bit something new. Is that something you do as well? I don't know. I think you might do it instinctively. I think that you ch you change because you know different rooms, different atmosphere. But you know, when you bed in a joke, sometimes you know you will change it. So suddenly you're 
so I've got a joke and for some reason one day it's got the word Scottish in it I whispered it and it gets a laugh I have no idea why so I kept it in yeah I have no idea why whispering Scottish gets a laugh but it does you know and you will you you bed things in you play with stuff that's a you know sometimes the joke comes out beautifully formed but sometimes it's you know you add a word here take a word there change it a little bit change the setup a bit you know you just play with it you know and also it's it's an audience so the thing with comedy what you want is to go back and forth and the other thing with jokes are it's not necessarily what you're saying that's funny it's your reaction to what you're saying that's what people find funny is your reaction so if you think of a lot of comedy characters 40 like um, basil 40 or sister michael in the dairy girls it's not necessarily what she's saying or it's partly what she's saying but it's also her reaction to what she's saying you know that's what people are laughing at and so depending on the audience it's an energy going back and forth so you know your 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 reaction will change or your your actions will change depending on how the audience are reacting how important is getting jokes for your persona like because i know that dave thompson said something like with sean mayer he's a very smart sort of person saying that he's smarter than the audience right yeah dave plays the buffoon yeah yeah you've got they won't work otherwise so if you if i had jokes and to make out i was a timid shy woman no one would laugh because it's not believable people just be like and you sometimes get that you get people i've seen this where this woman was doing jokes kind of like kind of gross out sex stuff and you watched her and it you know maybe true but you just kind of go you didn't do that like there's not one second did you believe that she did all this you know she, they were the wrong jokes for her you know i had somebody once send it like a former comic she wrote some jokes for me and i couldn't use them because it was like that's not me it's not that's not my voice your voice has got to match your persona or is it you won't get laughs because people won't believe it when when what what would you describe your comedy persona and what was the point that you realized who you were on stage um it's i think my comedy is like bullshit woman basically you know it is i'm a bullshit woman and uh that's it really i think <laughs> you know and because i you know you don't realize entirely how you come across but then you know then you get enough feedback you know and i'm i do have i would say quite a strong personality on stage let's put it that way and so you know my set has got to go with that kind of personality or as people would be like doesn't make sense you know what i mean i mean in a way how i look because when i i look you know i look like i'm about to go on my first cruise you know because i'm always in a frock and i'm in little shoes and you know fishnet tights and then i put my mouth and people are like oh okay okay she's not you know it's completely different but it, it goes with my thing. And that's as a comic, you do need that. You need your, you need to be different from all the other comics. There's no point trying to be the next, uh, I don't know, uh, Lee Mack or the next Frankie Ball or whoever, um, Sean Walsh or whatever. Because, you know, the, the, first, the original ones are going to be the best version. What you need to do is be yourself. And the only person that can do you is you. You can be the best you that they can be, if that makes sense yeah it's, it's the it's the it's the dodgy edges that make people interesting like it's the what edges the, what i mean by dodgy edges like look at trigger it's his faults that make him funny or yeah, like I mean, Hellboy or like. Trigger, i mean trigger was great because but also it was his reactions because he he had no idea he was an idiot do you <laughs> know what i mean 
it, there's, he didn't think he was an idiot. He was what he was saying made perfect sense, and that's what makes it that's what makes it funny, you know, because you know he clearly thought he was you know as bright as everyone else, yeah. and Rodney was really called Dave, so he didn't he you know there wasn't a problem for him there, <laughs> um, you know, and it's it, and what it is in order to be I think really funny on stage you've got to find your voice and you can spend years. That's the hardest thing in comedy is finding your voice because what you tend to do is be a a version of yourself on stage. You know, is a comic and then um if you can find your voice you will be funnier as you as you so i'm always funnier the more i'm me and i used to find that i used to run gigs in london and birmingham and i was definitely funny at my gigs because um i was more relaxed i mean i wasn't going to sack myself you know even if i had a bad gig it'd be like well i'm back next month you know what i mean so i was completely relaxed and i was definitely a lot funnier because i would take more risks you, know, you need to take risks as a comic and it's hard so if you go into a big club and you're doing your first 10 there you're not going to take risks you're going to do a safe 10 minutes because you want to get into that club so um but i think you know there, there comes a point when you start finding your voice and you think oh this is actually my real voice this is me and i think that's what makes you funny but that can be the, that can take years hmm. what are what are your tips for, for a comic that's you know if they're listening now like Maureen, could you give me some tips on finding my voice? Okay. Oh, I don't know. About, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I think the, the two tips are basically gig a lot, write a lot. That's it. Gig and write. And don't be a dick. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the three things you need. Gig a lot, write a lot, t try and turn over your material, and don't be a dick. Because you'll find that who gets you work are other comics. Other comics will recommend you to promoters. And they'll only recommend you if they're good. You know, I, I had friends who weren't very good. I would never recommend them because comics don't do that because it reflects badly on you. And you recommend people because they're good and also because they're not dicks. You know, if you've got, you know, when I, you know, if you've got, I've been asked to book a lot of comedy nights over time. If you've got to spend three hours in a car journey, on a car journey there, three hours back, I don't care how funny somebody is. If they're a dickhead, I ain't booking them. Do you know what I mean? It's like life's too short. And so, um, yeah, I think that's the three rules. Just gig, write, um, and just don't be a dick. How am I doing so far? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I can't know about your writing. But well, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, but I think that's, but that's the same in any business. And it is weird sometimes that, and also, don't just be a, like, sometimes you get people that they're nice to other comics, they're nice to promoters, but they're dicks to the other people in the club. Don't be dicks to other people in the club. That is, I find that, personally find that really annoying. And also, it's very short-sighted because most people, like in a lot of clubs, all the people in the, in the club report back, will, can and will report back. I know someone, an open spot, who was really rude to the sound guy, dismissed them, tech, not interested. Um, didn't realise that the sound guy writes the show reports. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then had a bad gig. And I know this this guy, he's a really nice guy, you know, and it's like, why are you being such a dick to that person? You, you know? And also you don't know, you know, the, per the person who's, I don't know, who's sorting out the tickets, uh, you know, maybe the manager in a couple of years' time. You know, it's... And people remember people who have been shit to them. You know? Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, 
I always know I've had a good gig when like security or someone who's working on the door comes up to me and says I've had a good gig because they've seen so much stuff that they tend to switch off and you think if they really like it and they think it's funny you've done well you know if you get the security going that was a really good gig you're like oh my goodness you know I I supported um it was a brilliant job the Naked Magicians for a month Trafalgar Studios and I used to like banter for 10 minutes and do uh, 10 minutes of material and um the ushers used to watch every day and I was like and I knew that was a that was to me that was a great sign because they've seen my act they could just go off in the hall or somewhere but they you know they would come in and watch and I and I thought well yeah I'm doing I'm doing well here so be nice to people and don't be like people don't be dicks to the MC that's another bad move because often if you're a regular MC at a, at a club you know you're often the eyes and ears of the promoter he will say oh how did so and so do you know and you report back yeah you know it's a business and i think um you know comics can be very supportive you know they a lot of them you know they will have you know because you know when you write to promoters you're just another email half the time you know they'll ignore you and it's nothing personal it's just you know you're another email in their inbox but if a comic goes oh you know what i saw I saw marvin he was really good you should give him a, like a tryout it means when you write in next you go oh yeah you know what i mean you've got more of a chance Hmm. yeah it's it's yeah I, well one thing i found like with marketing gigs as a whole the soft approach works better than the just the straight digital marketing it means so much more but right? i've seen so many people come back to shows because someone's recommended it rather than anything else yeah, yeah i mean especially if you've got a small night i mean i i ran small nights i knew almost everybody by name you know because they felt invested in the show yeah you know it's really easy to you know it's, it's the other way around it's hard to you know i had a you have a really good audience it's really hard to get an audience it's really easy to lose them <laughs> you oh, know? yeah i see it so many times i mean i've seen it with so many stars that i've seen like they say one thing like true geordie said something that was a bit iffy or you see lots of social media stars that they say one thing and then they're boom yeah i mean that's a that's a problem with, with social media isn't it because people can always say something and, you know, it can be misconstrued or, yeah. you know, you didn't think you misspoke or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if you recorded every conversation of every human being on earth, you would find something that's a bit iffy. Yeah. And we all say stuff like, there's nobody's not said something they, they would not want put in public. Do you know what I mean? Not a single person. No, I mean, just absolutely isn't. <clears throat> what? What? What would you say of instances where like you've made a mistake and you've done something you rubbed someone up the wrong way and then it's changed years down the line because Jeff Whiting told me situations of like when he's booking gigs mm. like comedy couples that have split up for a while they don't get on but then like a few months later or a year later they're cool and they can gig with each other again oh uh, okay well I haven't had that I'm trying to think I mean I must have wound people up I wouldn't be very surprised if I haven't I can't think of anything at the top of my head, to be honest. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I, I find that a lot from, yeah. <clears throat> now, when you when you run a lot of, I know that I listened to your podcast with Simon Cain about running right. female only comedy night. Yeah. What, what was... How did that change your way of doing comedy in terms of and putting on comedy shows? 
I think put on comedy shows makes you realise how annoying comedians can be. So I would recommend everybody run a run a night for a couple of months, and then you find out how irritating some comics are, and then just make sure you don't do what what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like not turning up, turning up really late, not turning up at all, not telling you they're not going to turn up, um, like not reading emails. Like I would write an email, all the details would be there, and then you get somebody phoning you up going, "What time does the gig start?" When it's, it's on the email, you can always just. Like, you know, where is it? Well, one just read, you know, it's not in Narnia when you just read the email. I mean, you know, things like that. It's, it's, um, it does make you appreciate. I think that one of the most important things besides being funny is reliability. You know, there, um, there's certain comics where you, they're great, but you just never know if they're going to cancel on you at the last minute. And you're just like, I can't be bothered to deal with that now. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you got someone like Barbara Nice, who's amazing. You book Barbara Nice, she'll be there. You know, rain, storm, whatever, she'll be there. She's an old school professional. And I think that's, that's it just makes you realise um, what not to do and what to do to endear yourself to a promoter. Mm-hmm. Basically, just, just turn up, be funny, don't be a dick. <laughs> be chill. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think what's annoying is sometimes, you know, if you do smaller gigs, you'll get somebody to do your gig and they think they're too big for your gig. So they're really dismissive Like they come on stage. They're not that bothered. I think oh, I should be doing this gig. And it's it's really annoying as a promoter. And it's like, if you think you're too big for the gig, don't say yes. Just don't do the gig. Because, you know, people are paid. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I, yeah, it's funny when you say a statement like that, because I, I found like... I had, like Matt Price is like a is an is very good, very sort of pretty Lovely high bloke, up there. Yeah, yeah. But I've never had any sort of funny business from him. No, like, no, he's a really nice guy, really nice guy. But I had someone who came in to do my gig. There was maybe a small audience there, about ten, and the night didn't go well. But straight away he was disrespecting the audience and all the acts there, and like, and then he don't book him again. Yeah, I didn't, and I won't. But it's it, 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 the way you wondered why I didn't do too well at the end. Like you, you're getting off to the wrong start. And yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's it's um, yeah, and it's really funny because then you meet some of the bigger names in comedy, and they're lovely. They're absolutely lovely. Is it because they've always been like that, or is it because a lot they've they're quite content? I don't know. I I don't know, but I think um, you know, um, being nice probably doesn't harm your career, does it? <laughs> uh, occasionally, sometimes I've been nice and been done over, but most of the time. Well, I mean, there is that, but um, I think as a general rule, if you're nicer, you know, it doesn't, you know. No, no, most people are pretty chill. You know, like you know, like Zoe used to do my gig, which is a very small gig. And she's definitely a very successful comedian, but she would never go on with that attitude. She would, you know, and that's a professional. She would give a good show, even though it was only 40 people. Do you know what I mean? And that's a sign of a professional comic. So, so I mean, comedy is bloody fun. It's a lot of fun. Whatever level you are, if you're on stage and you're, it's a, it's a fun. It can be fun. Do. I mean, sometimes. When it doesn't go well. Sometimes it's yeah. not fun. And the traveling's a pain in the ass, but uh, yeah. 
if, if they invented Star Trek uh, warp thingy, would you? Would, oh, that would be, be yeah, that'd be perfect. Energize. Because the traveling is it's just, and also it's now ridiculously expensive. When I first started, you could get a train for seven pound fifty to to Manchester. That is. Ooh. And it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about the 1960s. You know what I mean? It was, you know, it was relatively, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago or something. You know, but now, you know, a return to Manchester is 100 quid. Well, who's got, you know, it puts you off uh, going to gigs because you're like, well, I'm going to spend most of my money on travelling. Mm, yeah. It... Is that one thing that you would change in comedy? <laughs> Oh, traveling. I mean, you have to travel. I mean, saying that I'm going to Ireland this weekend. So um, you have to travel for your for your job. But um, I think, you know, it's uh, it's one of the least enjoyable aspects. You know, you go, you can travel two and a half hours, say three hours, and you're doing 20 minutes, hmm. you know, or something. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, I'm, I've just been booked to Hungary, so I'm going off to Budapest. Oh. You know, and you're just going, you know, to do 20 minutes on stage. I mean, Budapest, I mean, it's a nice city. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of travel. It's always funny when you hear new comics moan about travelling, you're like, you might be in the wrong job. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <clears throat> now, you, you're, you're, we spoke this on the podcast, you're, you're a lady of many languages. So, parvous mm. français. Tu, Je parle français, uh, oui, c'est vrai. Tu fais quoi comme travail? <laughs> <laughs> Le plus peu que possible. Oh, okay. C'est bien. <laughs> C'est toi. Uh, what's it like performing a lot of different nationalities and like doing comedy in different names? Do you get treated like a star? Do you get people saying... No, I mean, Whoa. there is a certain kudos if you say you're from London, I think. Um... I think when you're, um, you just got to, I think there's certain things when you go abroad, you've got to take into account. If it's predominantly not English audiences, speak slower, enunciate. Be wary of using British English because um, other other Anglophones won't understand it. It's like half four, that means nothing to an Australian or American. They've got no, no idea what half four means. Um, get rid of British references. I, I I mean, or not all British references, but you know, kind of very eclectic ones. I did a gig with somebody in Cologne and she talked about Arthur Scargill. And not only do you have to be British, but you have to be of certain age to know who Arthur Scargill is. I mean, me and my, my mum was with me. Me and my mum understood the reference. No one else got it. You know, I've had somebody talk about Edgware Road in Berlin. Like no one knows what Edgware Road means in Britain. You probably don't even know what it means in, in Glasgow. So it's like you've got to think about you know, certain jokes might not work in certain countries or the references won't work. So you've got to think about that. Um, but, you know, I, I did a gig in the middle of France, in the middle of nowhere in France, and the audience were 99.9% .9 British. So I could do, it was like gigging in Britain. It was... I mean, I was in France, but I might as well have been in, I could have been anywhere, South End. I mean, it was just, you know, it was a predominantly English, British audience. But I think if you're, if you're gigging abroad, you've just got to think about certain things. And also what I find really annoying is when you hear British comics state the obvious. So like if you're in Holland, you know, you'll get British comics going, oh, you've got a lot of bicycles. You think, yeah, the Dutch know that. I mean, no Dutch person is surprised by this. Or, you know, there's a lot of canals. 
or German has a lot of long words. It's just like, oh, yeah, interesting. So, you know, um, if you're going to make comments about the country, just do it. Just be slightly more original. So what's going on my G year? Like I went down popping down the street year and I went and did some b-ball and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, people aren't going to understand it. So it's, <laughs> but, you know, but like if you go abroad generally, like say Germany, they're really nice audiences. They're very nice. They're very polite. Um, they're not drunk. They turn up early. Um, it's very different to the British audience. <laughs> you don't need to be as perhaps, I suppose aggressive is too strong a word, but, you know, sometimes in London, say, you need to make sure people know that you, you're, you're in control, which you don't really need that in Berlin because they're, they're just nice. Yeah, nice. Ah, but they're not nicer than Austrians. No, Austrians have got a better sense of humour. <laughs> of course. Austrian humour is, I mean, Austrian humour is fantastic. Oh. I love Austrian humour. I won't bore you to death, but I do love uh, Austrian humour. No. I find it hilarious. Didn't and they? it's very different from German humor. Austrians would say because they've got a sense of humor, but it's very different from German humor. And it's very funny sometimes watching Austrians and Germans together in Austria and the Austrians will be taking the piss and the, some Germans have got no idea what's going on. It is very, very, I mean, I'm in hysterics. The German will be thinking it's, it's they, they won't get it. <laughs> they, they've always come across from what I've come across very methodical. Who Austrians? No, but Germans. Oh, Germans. Come across from the from the selection I've come across, not all. But oh, okay, I can't really comment. I mean, I lived in Germany. Only lived in Germany for three months, so um, I was mainly in Austria. And Austria, I just uh, yeah, I do. I love the. They've got a, a Austria's got a great sense of the absurd. Yeah. Okay, know. you made me want to research Austrian humour now. <laughs> Because I think unless you speak Austrian German, um, it's kind of hard to appreciate. Because a lot of the, lot of Austrian humour is is in the in the language and you know the register and the dialects and 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 the type of words they're using. And um, yeah, I mean, people are going to be snoring at this bit, but I I personally find it very very funny. And when I I read um, there's a great writer Wolf Haas that I read and it's very Austrian and I just absolutely love his books because it just reminds me of Vienna. Oh, that's okay. You better pay more in. She's plugging the book and the podcast. I don't think his books, are, <laughs> I think like his books aren't really translated into English, I don't think, which is a shame because he's bloody oh, hilarious. Now, for anyone that's, um, two questions I would like to ask. What is your, one bit of advice for getting better as a comic and what is your thing for if people want to find out about you? Okay, cool. Uh, the one thing about getting better as a comic is what I've said before is basically gig and write. Gigging and write, you know, when you're an open spot, you play a lot of horrible gigs. I remember this. Um, it's horrible. Sometimes you just lose the will to live, but it does teach you how to play a room. You don't appreciate it at the time, but you will appreciate it later on because you it makes you learn how to play a room and it also gets rid of all the chaff so people give up like really i worked with really good comics people had really good potential who gave up uh because they just couldn't you know it was just it's just too much hard work and it's a shame because the other thing about being a, any artist it's not it's not just having the talent or being good it's the persistence and the tenacity 
there's a lot of good people who get lost on the way and you've just got to keep on going okay. yeah and i mean i if i'd known at the beginning how much i would have to do shitty little gigs i probably wouldn't have done it but luckily <laughs> as an open spot you've got no idea so you just go on blindly you know carry on just you just got to carry on and getting better and the only way you can do it is by gigging and writing you know just that's what you do just 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 the more you write um and bear in mind you know you know you will have to write a lot of shit jokes to write a good one do you know what i mean not every joke you're going to write is going to be comedy gold i mean if if joke writing was easy we'd all have a different 20 minutes every week so you know you have to write stuff and sometimes you just leave it go away i mean i i i wrote stuff and I went back through some notes found this joke like oh actually that's quite good and i did it I actually started putting my set and it gets a big laugh now. But at the time when I first did it, it didn't work. And then I came back and I just phrased it slightly differently and it works. So that's it. Um, writing and gigging. And for anyone that wants to follow you, where do they find out about you? Oh, uh, yes. I, I, I need to increase on... my social media. It's Maureen Younger on YouTube. So feel free to follow me on that. And on TikTok and Instagram, it's Maureen Younger as well. And on Facebook, it's my comedy. So guys, if you like Maureen, you know where to go. Make sure you give this podcast a 10 star review on Amazon and iTunes. Yes, Make sure please. you give us both 50 quid. Even better. <laughs> and hopefully I'll see you next episode.